Uh, this is one of the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, where we are being given uh, blueprints for ministry in the local church. Uh, Paul is not simply giving recommendations or good advice for the church to follow. Paul is saying this is God's plan for ministry in the church. This is what a healthy church is and a healthy church does. And so while he's writing this letter, he, he takes an entire chapter almost to to talk about the offices of elder and deacon. We looked at the office of elder last week and we saw that elders are, uh, by the grace of God in their lives, godly men called to spiritually oversee the flock by being shepherds. Shepherds who, who know and lead and feed and protect the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now today we're going to take a, a little bit of time to think about the office of, of deacon. But before we uh, read 1 Timothy 3, let me lead us once again in prayer and ask for the Lord's help because without his help, this time would be in vain. So let's pray. Lord, we want to be a church grounded in and conformed to your holy and good and inspired word. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you today as little children, and we pray that you would be our teacher. Spirit would give us minds to understand and eyes to see. Where there is unbelief, give belief. Where there is misunderstanding, grant understanding. And where there is a lack of conformity, Lord, conform us to your holy word. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ is our as our king and our prophet, we pray that he would rule over us today by his word and spirit. We ask this all in his name. Amen. 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Let's hear God's word. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what is the diaconate? The diaconate is a distinct calling of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head and king of his church, given to certain men to take on the task of mercy ministry according to the word of God for the good of God's people. Now, it's one of the privileges, we talked about this last week, it's one of the privileges and duties for communing members of a church to recognize, nominate, and eventually elect their own deacons. I think in 1 Timothy 3, Paul, Paul gives these sets of qualifications both for elders and for deacons, and implied in those lists of qualifications is 
the right and duty of the congregation to recognize and confirm those gifts that Christ has given to particular men. And so Christ, by his grace, qualifies and gifts men for ministry, but that call is recognized and confirmed by a congregation whose, whose duty it is to recognize and confirm those qualifying gifts. I, I go through that to make sure we understand as a congregation that you play a fundamental and important role as a communing member in this entire process. I think this process itself is grounded in God's word. This isn't something we do for pragmatic purposes just to get the job done. It's not something created by human ingenuity. This is something grounded in apostolic teaching and apostolic example. And so in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders in the churches there in Crete. The church there in Crete. And the same verb is used in Acts chapter 6 for appointing when the apostles instruct the congregation in Jerusalem to pick out from among them seven godly men who will be appointed to the task of mercy ministry. So I want us to make sure we grasp how, how important this process is for us as a church. It's a process warranted by the word of God based on apostolic teaching. And so if you're a communing member, you've got a key role in, in this process. It's vital then that we understand what deacons are and what deacons do. And so this morning, that's what I want to uh, try to answer. Two very simple questions. What are deacons and what do deacons do? So let's try to answer the first question, what are deacons, as we look at 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Um, let me just say, as an aside, I'm not going to focus on verse 11 and all the questions you might have about verse 11. If you want to talk about it afterwards, let's do that. My view, in short, is Paul is talking about godly women, which would include uh, godly wives of deacons who assist deacons in diaconal ministry, but themselves are not ordained to diaconal ministry. Now, the word for translating the ESV, wives, gunikos, is, plays uh, kind of double play in uh, the Greek. It can be translated both woman or wife. So the debate is, is Paul talking about wives or women in general in the church? Anyway, we can talk about that later, but let me give you my summary here of, of what deacons are according to this passage. Deacons are men who are eager to serve, men who embrace the faith, and men who live exemplary Christian lives, particularly in the way they serve their fellow Christians. Okay, again, what, what are deacons? Deacons are men eager to serve the body of Christ, holding fast to the faith, and men who live exemplary Christian lives particularly in the way that they serve their fellow believers. Okay, so let's just unpack those ideas. First, deacons are men who desire to serve. But this, is, this is the function of the diaconal office. Deacons are servants. The office is for service. I think Paul makes that clear in the language he uses in verses 10 and 13. Look at those verses with me. Paul not only calls deacons servants, which, you know, the word deacon means servant, but then he defines their task as service. 
So in verse 10, he says, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. And then in verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons. Now, sometimes we use that language of serving in a sort of generic way, I'm happy to serve you or whatever. But I don't think that's what Paul's doing here. I think Paul is using the word in an official way, defining the very work of deacons as service. And so deacons are men who serve. They, 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 they serve so that the, the elders are, are set free to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. They serve uh, the congregation to promote the communion of saints as we confess this morning. And they, they serve to show the body of believers what Christian love looks like lived out. And as we'll see later this morning, they serve as well as a fundamental part of our gospel witness to the world. But I want to step back for a minute from these particular verses and notice what Paul is saying when you consider what he's saying about elders and deacons together. He's saying that, that a healthy church has these two ordinary offices, elders and deacons. Christ established them so that there would be a ministry of the word and a ministry of mercy, a ministry of shepherding and a ministry of service. And so listen to what Paul says as he writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1. This is the first words he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, including the shepherds and servants. I want to Say one of, the, one of the applications I want to make for us here is, is make sure you do not have a low view of the office of deacon. Deacons are not junior elders. Deacons are not elders in training. Deacons are not uh, church janitors. Deacons are not property maintenance workers. I'm not denigrating any of that work, but that is not chiefly what a deacon is. Those are extensions of the diaconal ministry of being stewards of the gifts of God's people. But deacons are, first of all, servants of the people of God. Servants of mercy who, who manifest the tangible love of Christ for his very own people. So the office of deacon, dear friends, is a, it's a sacred office. It's a holy work done for the glory of Christ and for the good of God's people. So deacons are men who desire to serve. And secondly, deacons are men who embrace the faith. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school uh, this morning. The faith in the pastoral letters and in other parts of the New Testament is, is shorthand for the apostolic teaching centered on Jesus Christ who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ has done. The apostolic proclamation of, of Jesus Christ revealed, Jesus Christ enfleshed, Jesus Christ crucified and raised and ascended and returning again to judge the living and the dead. Deacons are men who hold on to these truths and live by them. Their lives are based upon these gospel truths. I think that's an incredibly important qualifier and emphasis that Paul makes for, for our own day. There has been, I think, and this is something we should be thankful for, 
there's been a, a renewal of appreciation for the work of mercy ministry in the church today. But notice, Paul doesn't want the church to sever the connection between sound doctrine and mercy ministry. Mercy ministry should never be pursued apart from the, the faith because mercy ministry divorced from the faith ceases, ceases to be mercy ministry. So Paul is saying the church needs diaconal leaders, deacons who embrace sound doctrine and have a heart for Christ-exalting, gospel-centered mercy ministry. And then third, deacons live exemplary Christian lives. There's a lot of similarities here with what Paul just said about the elders. Notice once again that Paul's focus is not on ministry skills for qualifications. His focus is upon personal character. And by and large, the qualifications are the same, except for the qualification for elders that they must be able to teach. And so in verse 8, deacons must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And when you think about it, in a lot of ways, that's just practical. Because what, what would diaconal ministry be like if it was led by undignified, double-tongued, drunk, dishonest, greedy deacons? <laughs> it, would be a, it would be a disaster, wouldn't it? And so Paul goes on to say, let them serve if they prove themselves blameless. Uh, blameless not, does not mean sinless, above reproach. It means free from scandalous sin that would bring disrepute and discredit to the work of the church and the gospel. And, and like the elder, deacons are not self-sufficient men. It's important we recognize these are, these are spirit-dependent men holding to the gospel. And who because of God's grace, when, when people look at their lives, they can honestly say, there, there's, a man of, there's a man of dignity. He doesn't, he doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. He's not a slave to sinful passions and, uh, and habits or addictions. He's not greedy. He's not, uh, he's not out for himself. He, he wants to serve the people of God. And those qualities are evident in, in his life. He goes on, Paul says, in his home, if he's married, he is the husband of one wife. He's a one-woman man devoted to his spouse. Remember that principle from, for elders that Paul is applying here. You can look at how a man manages his own household to know exactly how he's going to manage the household of God. And so this is an important qualifier because how a man cares for his own family is reflective of how a man will care for the family of, of God. And so the reason it's important for us, not just for deacons, not just for elders, but for us as a congregation to think about is we should be asking ourselves the question, what kind of men is the Lord, uh, what kind of men is the Lord raising up? What kind of men is the Lord looking for to serve as deacons in the church of Jesus Christ? And, and, and once again, God's word is, is clear, isn't it? The answer of God's word is, is uh, men who are eager to serve, men who are holding fast to the faith, and, and men who live exemplary Christian lives, particularly in the way that they serve the body of Christ. But that still leaves another question. 
That's what deacons are. But what, what, what do deacons do? What is the ministry that Christ calls deacons to carry out? And that's what I want to think about uh, with the remainder of our time. I want to give you three statements that hopefully summarize in a helpful way the task of diaconal ministry. So here's number one. Deacons safeguard the joy and peace of the people of God through mercy ministry. I'll show you that from the book of Acts, that deacons safeguard the joy and peace of a congregation through mercy ministry. Uh, we're gonna, it's going to take a little bit of work to get to that because I want you to see a pattern that is established in the book of Acts that we need to see. Uh, so turn to, turn to Acts chapter 2, and we'll work our way forward here, but let's begin in Acts chapter 2. I want us to see this pattern established in the early church of a healthy church being devoted to the word of God and at the same time devoted to showing tangible love and mercy to the people of God. I think Luke wants us to see that. Just, just think about that for a second, though, before we look at Acts chapter 2. As, as we're thinking about the ministry of elders and deacons among us, elders are called to a ministry of the word and deacons are called to a ministry of mercy. Why did Jesus set it up that way? Well, to, to ensure that the ministry of the word and that the ministry of mercy would, would be the focus of the congregations of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so trace this pattern with me. You'll see it in Acts 2, Acts 4, and then Acts 6. Look at Acts 2, beginning in verse 42, and let's read down to verse 47. Luke is giving us a summary of the Jerusalem church's activity. And he says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So what's the summary of that? God's people were devoted to God's word and God's people were devoted to mercy ministry. Now, this isn't some form of church communism. The goal is not the redistribution of wealth. It's providing for real legitimate needs. It's not some civil government enforced program. This is, this is the ministry of, of the church. And, and uh, I think it, very simply, this is the church being the church, devoted to the gospel, concretely loving one another. And so you can imagine someone in the congregation of Jerusalem's church at the time looking at their brothers and sisters and, and, and there's, there's, there's a widow in the congregation who has professed Christ. She has, she has no, no husband, no, no other family. She has, she has left the protection of the synagogue in order to confess Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so she has, she has nothing. She has real need. And, and here's a believer in the congregation who is, who is blessed, materially speaking, and he says, I have these things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sell them. I'm going to give them away. And I'm going to give the proceeds to the church so that this sister can be cared for. 
Or there's a man in the church who, because of his profession of faith, is being persecuted and he's, he's struggling to provide for his family and others in the congregation are saying, that's, that's my brother in Christ. And so they make sacrifices, they sell things, they give things away in order to care for this man and, and his family. That's what was going on in the church of Jerusalem. And so this is Luke's summary of the early church. Devoted to the apostolic word and devoted to caring for one another in real, sacrificial, tangible ways. And what's the outcome of all of that? Luke tells you in, in the rest of verse 47. Look at it. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to make sure you get that. People talk today a lot about church growth and church growth strategies. But how did the early church in the book of Acts grow? You see it there? It grew through the apostles proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And as the body of Christ cared for one another, the Lord was adding all those who were being saved. The, the means was devotion to the word of God and mercy ministry. That's how the church was growing. Now flick forward to Acts chapter 4 and we see this same pattern. Uh, verses 32 through 35. I think Luke wants to make sure we get this pattern of, of word and deed in our minds as a church. So starting in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So there it is again. The church devoted to the ministry of the word and devoted to real, tangible, sacrificial mercy ministry. Uh, and, and then look at uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Here's another summary statement from Luke. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes both men and women. How? How was the Lord growing the church in Jerusalem? He was growing the church as the church was devoted to the ministry of the word and a ministry of mercy. But then we get to Acts chapter 6. When we get to Acts chapter 6, there's a problem. There is a problem that threatens the unity and the joy of the congregation in Jerusalem. It threatens the unity because uh, Greek-speaking widows are raising the complaint that Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking widows are being shown favoritism in the daily distribution. And it threatened the joy of God's people because that meant there were people being left in want who were unable to experience the full joy of belonging to the redeemed people of God where the curse of sin is being reversed. So what do we do? What do we, what do we see here in Acts chapter 6? There's this problem threatening the joy and the peace of the church. Notice what, well actually first, notice what the apostles didn't say. They didn't say, well, the ministry of the word 
is, is, is really not that important. So we'll just, we'll set that aside and we'll make sure the mercy ministry takes place. Nor did they say mercy ministry is unimportant. Okay? So uh, we're just, we're just going to go ahead and take care of that. <laughs> Instead, what do they do? They call the church together and they say, look, we must be devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. So appoint, pick out, choose from among you seven godly men who can carry on this ministry of mercy in the church of Jerusalem. You see what the, the apostles refused to do. They refused to set aside the ministry of the word and they refused to set aside a faithful ministry of mercy. And so here we, we I, th I think, have the, the origin of the diaconal office in the New Testament. Some people say, well, deacons aren't mentioned here, but surely these men are appointed to a diaconal task. So here's the first thing deacons do. They safeguard the unity and joy of the church through works of mercy. And this is the pattern we find throughout Acts. And Acts is a book that is meant to be giving us a, an enduring pattern for faithful life and ministry in the local church. And that means Trinity Presbyterian Church is called by God to be devoted to ministry of God's word and a ministry of mercy. And we can't neglect either of them. Both of them are fundamental and essential to the ministry of Trinity Presbyterian Church. We're called to this twofold ministry. And that's why Christ gives elders and deacons. Elders called to minister the word to the people of God and deacons called to minister mercy to those in need, particularly those of the household of, of faith. That's the first thing I want us to see. Here's a second statement about what deacons do. Deacons, uh, deacons embody, deacons enflesh, deacons exemplify, whatever word you want to use. Deacons are a living example of Christ's command to love one another. Deacons lead God's people in Christ-like service. They show us what, by example, what the, 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 the love that Christ calls us to looks like lived out among God's people. Now turn, turn to John uh, chapter 13, and I want us to reflect on some words from Jesus here in John 13 and apply it to diaconal ministry. John 13, verses 34 and 35. First, remember the context. This is on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He will, he will soon be betrayed. He will be handed over to Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate and be condemned to death on a cross. All of that is looming on the horizon of reality for Jesus. And he knows it's coming. He knows he is about to be the sin bearer of God's people. He knows he is about to, to take into his own hands that cup of God's holy wrath against human sin. And so we would, we would maybe excuse Jesus at a time like this to really say, you know what, guys, I need, to, I need to focus on myself here for a little while. I need to prepare myself for what lies ahead. But what does Jesus do? He, he takes on the role of a household slave. He, he divests himself of 
his, his outer garments. He places a towel around his waist. He takes up a basin of water and, and he gets down and he begins to wash the dirty, stinking feet of his disciples, including Judas Iscariot. What did Jesus do? He, he exemplified the servant heart that he has for, for his people. And in that context, look at what Jesus says in verses 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. In other words, love after my example. Love after the example of how I've loved you. Love like I have loved you. How, how has Jesus loved his disciples? He has loved his disciples by serving them even to the point of death. Now, of course, there's something unique about Jesus' service. The story Jesus says to Peter, Peter, unless I wash you, you have, you have no share in me. And Peter says, Jesus, wash all of me. And that's because Jesus' service saves. He, he came to give himself on behalf of others. He came to give himself as, as a ransom for his people. He came into the world to die. And so he came to go to the cross and bear the sins of his people and endure the wrath of God. And so we have to recognize this, my friends. Jesus is the chief deacon. Jesus is the great servant of God's people. As Isaiah tells us, he is God's chosen servant, the this, this suffering servant who came willingly to take the sins of his people and carry them to Calvary's cross. And as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, the, the Lord of glory, the eternal Son of God, equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from all eternity, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, not by setting aside his deity, but by taking on the form of a slave, taking on the form of a servant of the people of God. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even, even death on a cross, Paul tells us. And so after Jesus gives them a, a, a picture of this humble service. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, serve one another like this. Love as I have loved you. And of course, the commandment that Jesus is giving is not a new commandment in the sense that it hadn't been given in the past. The commandment to love one another is grounded deeply in the Old Testament, right there in the center and heart of the book of Leviticus. So what's new about it? What's new about it is love one another as I have loved you. The exalted Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself to serve sinners. The Son of God came to be a humble slave for an unworthy people. In other words, Jesus put others first. And he wants us to love in, in that way. In a love that communicates, with a love that communicates, it's, it's, not about, it's not about me. It's not about what I can get out of this. It's about the good of my, my beloved brothers and, and sisters in the Lord. 
Okay, so maybe you're wondering at this point, what's this got to do with deacons? Well, think about it. Deacons are leading servants in the church. And so Christ has given us an office of men who are to embody the love command of Jesus Christ in the way that they serve the congregation. They serve the people of God and by doing so, set an example for the entire church of what it means to love others as Christ says in John 13. And so you see, my friends, here's the Here's the challenge for all of us. Deacons do not exist to exempt a congregation from service. Deacons do not exist so that we're off the hook from loving one another and loving others tangibly and sacrificially. Instead, God has given us deacons to show us what that love and service to the body of Christ and to our neighbors looks like. Christ calls us here to to love one another, to love one another the way Jesus loved us, not to be a people that James talks about in James 2. Be warm, be filled, be blessed, and, and then you go on your merry way, but your words are empty. No, Jesus calls us to love one another in tangible, sacrificial deeds. And that means in the in the church of Christ, where there's a need. Deacons will be the first responders. Deacons will serve to meet that need. But you see, God calls us to follow their leadership. To take the the gifts and the graces that Christ has given to the entire body. And to pour them into those who are in need. To give everything that God has given to us to God's people. That's the second thing. Deacons embody, exemplify Christ's love command. Here's the third and final thing. Still in John 13, deacons promote the church's witness to the world through loving service. Look again at verse 35. What Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. My friends, does the mercy ministry of Trinity Presbyterian Church matter for our witness to the world? Does the way we love one another matter for how we witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? According to Jesus, it does. Actually, according to Jesus, it depends on it. And diaconal ministry is tied up with with this reality. According to Jesus, the witness of the church depends on, in part, how we love one another. And so if you have love for one another, then all people will know that you are my disciples. Or put it negatively, if you do not love one another, the world will not know that you are my disciples. So what I want us to see today is that a ministry of mercy is an important, vital part of our gospel witness to the world. Not mercy ministry divorced from the ministry of the word. Not mercy ministry in place of the ministry of the word. Not mercy ministry at the expense of the ministry of the word. But mercy ministry that evidences that the ministry of the word has changed our lives. That the word of the gospel has actually gotten down into our minds and our hearts. And it's actually transforming the way we live as individuals and with one another. And so the ministry of the gospel 
is tied up with this idea of, of, of how the church cares for its own, and beyond that, how the church seeks to do good to, to all. And Jesus is saying that when people, people look at a church's communal life, their, their life together, they should be able to say, there's something really, really strange about those people. There's something weird. I mean, they don't, they don't live for self. They seem, to, they seem to live for each other. They don't live for their own benefit. They, they come Lord's Day after Lord's Day, first of all, for the glory of God and for the benefit of their brothers and sisters. And it's in the glorifying of God and the good, seeking of the good of their brothers and sisters that they find benefit. Uh, this, is, this is what people should be able to see when they look at a congregation of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and say there's something, there's something really weird causing this. And my friends, what's causing it is the gospel of the suffering servant who, who loved us and gave himself for us. And so this issue of mercy ministry and diaconal ministry, Christ-like service, is deeply connected to our witness to the world. And my friends, deacons are godly men given by the Lord Jesus Christ to the church who lead us in this self-giving service to one another. Diaconal ministry is first of all focused on the people of God. And so these are men who safeguard the joy and the peace of the church through mercy ministry. These are men who by the grace of God exemplify the Christian life, particularly in their self-giving service. And these are men who promote the witness of the church as they lead us in loving others. Let me just say, I am, as I was thinking about this message, I found myself again and again, I could give you, I could give you uh, the rest of the day's worth of reasons we should be thankful for, for our deacons and the work they do here at Trinity in the many, many ways they exemplify for us the love of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that to puff our deacons up and they know that. But my friends, may it be that the Lord would raise up even more men whose hearts burn with a desire to serve Christ's precious flock. And, 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 and may it be that there are, there are more diaconal leaders in the church who desire to glorify Christ by caring for his people and exemplifying before our eyes the love command of Jesus Christ. I hope just in these last two weeks, we, it has been impressed upon me once again the, the vital importance and the serious responsibility uh, laid upon church leaders. This is a really important issue. It's necessary for a healthy church. It's necessary for faithful gospel ministry. So I uh, I, I beg you, and I'm sure the deacons and the elders will join me here. I beg you, be praying for your church leaders. Pray that the Lord would keep them faithful in their shepherding and serving ministry here at church. And as we go through this season of nomination and down the road, Lord willing, it'll happen again. Let's be praying that God would enable us to see and recognize men he has gifted to serve in these ways as elders and deacons seek to shepherd and serve the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, amen. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you for your word, the clarity of your word, and the instruction that it brings. And once again, we submit ourselves to it. And we pray that you would govern us by this word, that we would be devoted to the apostolic message and devoted to tangibly, sacrificially loving others and seeking to love those beyond the walls of this congregation to show them the the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus alone. We pray all this in his name. Amen.